Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, your weekly podcast where we take a deep dive examining knowledge, philosophies, wisdom and insights to help you to lead, manage and coach in football, sports and life. Leader Manager Coach is presented by Rob Riles. Rob is a qualified coach with a League Managers Association qualification and a science and medicine background. He has worked in the football industry in Europe, USA and Africa at international, premiership, league, non-league and grassroots levels with World Cup and European Championship experience. Hello and welcome to another edition of Leader Manager Coach. It's Rob Riles welcoming you to another program. Now today I'm uh, sitting in an office with a gentleman that I've known for a long time and uh, somebody who I've um, watched from afar as a as a football supporter and a and a football professional and somebody who've got an, an awful lot of admiration for. I'm sitting in the office of uh, Lou Macari and um, I'll come to why I'm sitting in his office in a, in a moment. But we've just experienced as we as I came into the office, Lou doing his what he calls his normal normal daily activities of um, just running running um, his Macari Centre, which is what I want to talk about. So Lou. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rob. And um, thanks for having me. No problem. I, I've just seen you um, as busy as probably you've ever been in your football life. Um, <laughs> he's, uh, effort, he, he doesn't mind me saying, I've seen Lou. He said, I'll just be five minutes. I'm going to the tip. I've got to take some stuff down to the tip to do some recycling. I'll be back and get yourself a cup of tea. And then he came in and he's, he's organizing stuff and he's got people doing doing different jobs. And it's been an absolute eye-opener for five minutes. So um, a, a real insight for me. I've heard about the Macari Center and this is my first experience of it. So, um, and that's what I really want to find out, find out about. But Lou, just before we get into that, can you just tell us a little bit for anybody who doesn't know your your past? I, you know, and I, obviously as a football supporter, I know that you know you've you know, you're, you're an esteemed international, play for two of the biggest clubs in the world. Just just kind of take us through from how you got into football, what your early days were like. I know you were at Celtic as your first club um, and, and just from there so we can get a bit of a background. Yeah, uh, fanatical Celtic supporter as a kid. Yeah. Um, unlike nowadays, um, Celtic couldn't win anything. We're never in contention. Uh, the team was Rangers and uh, I followed them year after year from the age of nine till I think about 13 Right. and didn't see them win a trophy. Honestly. Didn't win a trophy in Scotland. Seriously. Yeah. Um, never looked like winning one. And then along came a man called Jockstein, who a lot of people won't know, but in my opinion, um, probably for what he did in Scottish football and winning the European Cup, uh, one of the greatest Scottish managers ever. If um, not in the world, eh? If not in the world. And I'm including Sir Alex in that, who uh, actually was second in command to Jockstein for Scotland. And I'm saying that because a lot of people, again, won't remember that. So Steen was in charge. Alex Ferguson was second in command. And um, and through my years at Celtic, Jock Steen was my manager. Um, wow. Replica of Alex Ferguson in every way. You know about Sir Alex's discipline. You know about Sir Alex producing young players. Uh, Steen did that. So maybe, maybe Sir Alex, dare I say it, learn from him. Well, he would have learned from him because you do learn from managers that are... That are some of the best managers in the world. And a bunch of young players come through with me at Celtic when I joined the football club. But I, I went and watched them four or five years and didn't win anything. Steen came along, won a Scottish Cup and uh, still followed them on a supporters coach where I used to live. Did you? In a, in a place called Largs on the west coast of Scotland. And um, of course, when you're young and you're football mad, um, and I've got to say at the time, every kid in Scotland was football mad. Every kid in Scotland kicked a football. Very much like nowadays, probably every kid in Scotland's got an iPad or 
every kid in Scotland plays these crazy games. But those crazy games in the iPads do not produce footballers. Yeah. And uh, there was lots of young players who were desperate to become a footballer. And if, you, if you'd have asked any kid at the time in Scotland, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they would all have said, I want to be a professional Standard. footballer. How you get there and how it all happens, I've said it many a time. It wouldn't have it wouldn't have happened for me when I look back now. It wouldn't have happened for me if I hadn't had the manager that I did have. He guided me through me through my my days as a, a youngster on the ground staff. Because when you joined a football club, this yeah. is Jockstein. When you joined a football club, that's that was your first job, ground staff as a youngster, um, getting the boots out for the players in the morning, getting the kit out for them, taking the kit back in, washing it, cleaning the boots, polishing the boots. Then cleaning Celtic Park from top to bottom to make sure everything was ready for the next game. Um, that was solely your job as a as a young apprentice yeah, back yeah, then. Yeah. And then if you were, if you did everything right, he'd give you the luxury of a, seeing a football, and you could go behind Celtic Park and and play behind the goals. Now, for somebody that stood on the terrace and for like me for eight years looking at the players playing out there, just to play behind the goals was enough. Was enough. It was brilliant because I'd watched it behind the goals and there was. Plenty of grass behind both ends at Celtic Park. But little did I ever think or believe that one day I would, um, first of all, look after the kit of the Lisbon Lions, the team that won the European Cup in 67. Um, all famous names to me. Might not be famous no, names No, no. You know, I, I, I'm a studier at student of football and I know it's the, one of the greatest feats that's ever been accomplished in terms of, I think, 11 out of the 12 were born That's within it. 10 miles and I think one was born yeah um, you know and the Jimmy Johnston you know the naturals uh, natural footballers transfer fees nil I think the goalkeeper was probably the only one or the goalkeeper cost some money I think it was 25,000 goalkeeper was Ronnie Simpson did you have a designated player that you had to look after boots or did you was it one of those things where you just looked at everybody he grabbed everybody all boots, the ground right. staff they grabbed all the boots took them into the, the boot room put the stuff in the laundry, cleaned all the boots in the boot room. But then at Christmas, wow. they would all give you a little tip. And um, that was your that was, your that was your reward for, for working hard and looking after them. Um, and then that moved from nowhere and a nobody onto the ground staff. If you'd have asked all the lads, Kenny Dalglish was another one, Danny McGrain, Scottish internationalist, David Hay, who played down in England. If you'd have asked us all, uh, what we thought of it at the time, it was we, we were in heaven. What was happening at the time was beyond our wildest dreams. Wow. And even then, especially with the Lisbon Lions standing between us and getting in the first team, I think there was very few of us ever believed it was going to happen. So when you were, when they won it in 67, yeah. uh, where where were you in your career then? Exactly? Myself and, and Doug Leash and a lot of Danny, Danny McGrain and, and a lot of youngsters. We were two nights a week at Celtic Park. Oh, yeah. That was the offer we got when we were brought into the football club. You can come and train with us two nights a week for two years, which in my opinion is a lot better than academy and all this yeah. that goes on nowadays. Wasn't promised anything. There's no, I couldn't walk about school or, or where I lived in Lars and say I'm a Celtic player. I, w I was nothing to do with Celtic. They'd give me an invitation along with the rest of the lads yeah. that were there to train two nights a week. And after two years, of developing everything about a footballer, your your physique, your pa, your 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 pace that you've at the time you don't have, all the things that are needed to become a good footballer, they take all that into account and they work on you. So the nights that you weren't at Celtic, just for, for young players, the, the nights you weren't at Celtic, Lou, 
were you out on your own in the streets? I was, doing your own I was out every night. I were was you? against a wall, kicking a little tennis ball, because I always believed if you could control a tennis ball, you can control a football because it's about five times the right. size of it, or even ten times the size of it. So, um, and then pals of mine would be out in the street with a kickabout, and when we heard our mum or dad shout, it's time to come in, we, we used to get annoyed with them and, and argue with them. Just give us another 10 minutes. We pitched back at the time. <laughs> Just give us another 10 <laughs> minutes, dad, and uh, then we'll come in. But um, as I say, that was... Um, wow. Then Tuesday and Thursday was leave school and go to Celtic Park instead of leave school and coming home. So Tuesday and Thursday, it was on a train, See it, yeah. uh, three quarters of an hour to Glasgow, off the train, two buses to get to Celtic Park. Brilliant. Brilliant. One of the buses, I'll never forget it because it's got a strange name to it. It's 263 to Auchenshugel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, the 263 to Auchenshugel. It's still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a 263 now. I don't know why. It's not, It's a 69 or something. Change on that and get to Celtic Park for 7 o'clock. And uh manager was always there. Was he? Guaranteed, always there. And um trainers on, out on the track. Big wide track at Celtic Park at yeah, the time. Yeah. And uh, you spent the next hour or hour and a half on the track or up the terraces, wow. running up and down them. No ball, wow. didn't see a ball. Wow. And um, two years was the, you know, that was a crucial time though. That night, which you were looking at coming on the calendar, you were saying it's getting closer and co- closer and you kept your fingers crossed that they took you in and they said, you've done well, we like you, we want to keep you here. And you immediately got to £12.50, which was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when they did, Call me in. Um, I told my my dad, and my mom that you know this is it. I'm in. And was uh, it, Jock who, who had you it in was Jock, there? yeah. And out the office, phone wow. mom and dad, and got home and had a cup of tea and right. a sandwich and went to bed. And I was now a Celtic ground staff, oh, uh, staff ground staff player. So couldn't wait to go in that first day to do what you do as a ground staff, which I've mentioned. And things developed from there, where you you trained with the first team every day. Went down with them to the training ground, which was about a mile away. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know, yeah. We used to um, change at Celtic Park and run through the streets of Glasgow, which, you know, we we did it. It was the wrong end of Glasgow as well. It's a, it was a sort of ranger's end and ran through the streets of Glasgow to a training ground called Barrafield, Barrafield yeah. and um, and trained and trained as hard as I've ever trained in my life. Yeah, yeah. And the manager stood no nonsense, none whatsoever. If he didn't run fast enough down to Barrafield, he would rollick you when when he got to the training ground. Then when you got your train your football boots on and you started doing football work, um, which was shooting and crossing and things like that, especially the shooting. If the shooting was wayward, he would just blow his whistle. You might only have started at ten o'clock, it might be ten fifteen by now. He would blow his whistle and uh say something like, Ah, that was f- rubbish. Right, all back to Celtic Park. We start again at three o'clock. Did he? And he did. You went back to Celtic Park. You ran back. So who who was this? Who was running this, this session? This was this was Jock was running this session. So Jock was running this session for the for the for you at that for the ground staff wow. and the and the first team players. Wow. wow! But we we joined the first wow. team players, and of course we went back. They went back to Celtic Park. We went back, and wow. the big inquest started in the dressing room. Who had let everybody down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, he didn't he didn't mess yeah. around. There was real discipline, and at the time. You just looked at him as, as as Jock and being this 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 manager who you daren't knock at his door. You wouldn't do that. Billy McNeil, Captain Caesar, we called him. Caesar, yeah. Caesar was scared to knock at his door. Um, go and see the manager Caesar about this or that, <laughs> and he'd go, "No, I'm not going in. Yeah, you yeah, go yeah. in." 
So there was this, there was this, there was this fear of factor in him that he had, and uh, as a result, you know, very few people fell foul of him or wanted to fall foul of him because you were in no doubt that he wasn't going to stand for any nonsense. And we trained hard every day. We, I would say, we were the the fittest team in Scotland, and it proved later that when we we played English teams, that uh, we could match them. And in the big one in itself, Inter Milan, who were famous for the fitness yeah. training camps and all that, yeah. uh, ran them into the ground. Yeah, yeah. So I learned very on in my football career, thanks to thanks to Jock, that football being ninety minutes and football being what it is, the main priority is fitness. Mm. You've not got fitness, you can't play. And every one of the those younger players that I came through with Dalgleish and David Hayne, I've mentioned them all. The one thing we all did, we we had long careers which wasn't something that just was written in the stars. Yeah. It's because the start of our career, we were we got used to the fact that we were going to have to work hard and play hard. And you took that into your management league, didn't you? I did. I did wherever I went. Well, I, I did realise that the manager was right. Successful manager, out of nothing. Probably the greatest achievement ever in British football, uh, Celtic winning their European Aye. Cup, because they, they had no right to. No. And the rounds before that, when they got through, we, we just sort of obliterated teams it was Celtic Park was a bit of a fortress but but it's what the team did on the pitch was the biggest thing and I looked back on that and thought you know that's that's how you do it that's how we've done it because I'd seen years of Celtic doing absolutely nothing and along came this man and he, he, he turned everything around and there's that great uh, little story about and I forget who tells it when they were in the tunnel waiting to go out and they looked up at these great like Italian giants with, with big thighs and suntans and, and, and real cream and they're looking down and they've got little pasty white legs and all that but hey get on the pitch it was like yeah, yeah. and that Italian team you've just described those players wouldn't have known anything about them before no. they went out on that pitch because Jock never mentioned the opposition no. never never talked about the opposition wasn't interested and used to say to the players you do your thing you do your thing that you, you're good at. You show us what your strength is out on that pitch and we'll win as simple as that. I don't need to give you the opposition team and where they're going to play. Um, run around, work hard, and it will happen for you. Is that you. something that you utilised as well as a philosophy league when you were the manager, that, that focus on your that, team? That's something I believed in. Yeah, if I'm listening to a, a man who can get a team to win the European Cup yeah. and the players are all unknowns to everybody, uh, you've got to believe that what he is, what he said at the time, it is still applies, and you do take it into your management. And if you've got enough in your team, and in the Celtic team there was a, a great mixture of um, Jimmy Johnson, little Jinky as they called him, ball to his feet, takes people on, beats them, could beat them three times, and sure. still go for get forward, and and that was his strength. Bobby Murdoch was an unbelievable passer of the ball. Bobby Lennox was so quick, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, John Hughes, Yogi Bear, we used to call him, big man, powerful man. If he tried anything funny, Jock would whip him off the pitch, right. sit him in the dugout yeah. and say, don't you ever try that again, you look like a clown. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was it was Billy McNeil, wow. Caesar, wow. power and strength. Uh, Tommy Gemmel had a ferocious shot on him, which any free kicks, simple stuff. He took them and smashed them at the goalkeeper from any distance. And the the goalkeeper was, because he trained that hard, he was the car. He was Ronnie Simpson. And they did it, went back to another European Cup final after that. 
And then I started to sort of make a bit of a name for myself, getting in the team, which was my first achievement, just getting in the team and holding a place down. And I've got to be honest, at that age and way back then, you've not got people brainwashing you how great you're doing. You haven't got an agent. You haven't got anybody bigging yeah. you up. Um, your feet are on the ground. And you just keep playing every week. But to be in that dressing room, though, with those just to be in the dressing room. people outside waiting for you to go out. And yeah. to be in the dressing room with the, with the manager. And don't forget, Scottish football at the time, and one of my cup finals, I played in front of 138,000 wow. at Hamden Park. And I just, I don't know how I did it, but I just sort of walked down that tunnel, walked onto the pitch and, and felt it was just another game. Again, it was another another art of management that he had just to convince you you've nothing to fear. Do you think that if you had had somebody who hadn't got Jock's ability to do that, Lou, that I wouldn't you, have been a player. You might have been sick every game or No, I wouldn't have been a player. I was thin. I had those skinny little legs. I wouldn't have frightened the Italian team. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. I'd have been in that tunnel, yeah. they'd have just laughed at me. I had skinny little legs. Um I developed because he insisted on it. I developed plenty of stamina. That was no problem to me. And all the things that um, that came my way in terms of being a footballer, it was him. Uh, no power and strength in my legs. We played at Southampton, the Dell at the time, yeah. which was renowned for being muddy. Yeah. The mud, I couldn't get my feet out of the yeah. mud. Came back and one of the Tuesday sessions at night, he said to me, oh, how'd you do the other day, by the way? I said, oh, it was awful. Boss. I said, I couldn't run. You couldn't run? Yeah, right, we'll, we'll change that. Yeah. And he did change it. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. He changed it. He's the greatest, greatest Scottish yeah, yeah, manager. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you listen to um, the people who look back at, you know, at, at, at the famous four, if you like, you've, um, you know, um, Samat, Shanks, Jock, and, and, and Sir Alex, if you, if you want to look at them. All the same. All, you know, Irish shipbuilding or mining, yeah. disciplinarians, everyone to a to, to a team. And I, I'd go down to Carrington when Sir Alex was there, watch training sometimes. And I'd see Jock out in the pitch. I'd see Jock. That was that wasn't Sir Alex to me. That was Jock. He was behaving. Every single thing he, thing he did brought back childhood memories to me of Jockstein. The way the way he moved about the pitch. He, he got in people's faces and challenged them after they'd done something silly. Um, and you'd no you'd no doubt whatsoever, even from a distance, Sir Alex was in charge. Yeah, you weren't you weren't going to trust it. Well, you knew, you knew that he was controlling that training session. Uh, everyone was, I wouldn't say scared of him, but they were reluctant to do anything wrong. Um, and I saw Jockstein there. And fortunately, later in my career, on just on once, I, I met Bill Shankly. Um, Bill Shankly and Jock were the best of pals. Very strong relationship they had. And the story goes that Bill Shankly seen me play and said to Jock, if ever he leaves Celtic, I want him. I want him. I want him at Liverpool, and I didn't know that. Obviously, I don't. I've heard this. You don't I've know. Heard, I've heard the you don't know what's happening. Yeah. So, um, I played for Celtic for five seasons, six seasons. I stay in the team, which is an indication that you've done okay. Uh, I don't get left out for anybody. Scored a number of goals, contracts up, and I go to see him. Uh, by then, I was on fifty pound a week, which was the first team wage, and going to see him, and he says. Um, You've done great for me. New contract, um, four-year contract, £55 a week. <laughs> uh, I nearly died. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was still going to sign it, except 
things had changed in my life. I was going to get married, and I'd lost my I'd lost my father, so I had to support my mother now. And I just knew on fifty five pound a week I couldn't do that. Um, I'd been in the Scotland team, and I knew the wages in oh. England were about two hundred. Wow! Which yeah, it was wow. It, it was massive, yeah. massive. And uh, I thought I can't, and I, I I sort of pleaded with them and begged them to give me some more money. I said, just give me another tenner or whatever, just so I can pay the bills. And, and she said, I can't. I'd be breaking the wage structure. Yeah, yeah. So um, I said, well, I'm off then. I'm not going to stay. Don't know why I said that, because I had no idea if anybody thought it was any good. I had no idea of how well I'd actually I'd done uh, in Scottish football and just took a chance, uh, trained every day. That went on for about three weeks. Went home every night. No club. No club. No phone call. Wow. No nothing. Can you imagine that today, Luke? Well, it wouldn't happen today, no, would no. it? <laughs> and um, uh, and then I thought, well, how do you how do you get another club interested? <laughs> so I was thinking, <laughs> I can't pick up the phone and it ring. Unbelievable. And ring somebody. So the phone rang this night, and it was it was Jock, and he said, uh, "Be ready in the morning. Cars coming to pick you up. You're going to England." All right, boss. Thanks. As I say, you just didn't yeah. want the whole conversation. Put the phone down. I told my wife, and she says, "Where are you going?" And I said, "I don't know. I forgot to ask him." <laughs> she said, "Ring him back." I said, "I'm not ringing you, him you. back. You ring him back." Anyway, she didn't. She wouldn't. Um, oh. So I'm waiting in the car coming, and the car comes, and I hadn't been to England that many times. I've probably been three times in in my life down in the car yeah. to Blackpool or somewhere. Yeah. Blackpool weekend, yeah. Mad Scots weekend there, and. Um, Car arrives and in the back of the cars, my reserve team manager Sean Fallon, another man who brought me through as well, great guy. If it hadn't been for him as well, he's another reason why I made it. Um, get in the back car, said, "Sean, where are we going?" And he he he, he says, "Oh, um, I, I didn't tell you. If I do, Jock will kill me." So so here we set off for Scotland, head head up towards Glasgow, then heading for the border. And I always remember it. We, we got over the border and I, and I knew my football teams because at the yeah. time as a kid, youngster, you know everything. Yeah. All the football team, you've got all these cards, yeah. the Panini cards. And um, we go past Carlisle and I went, wow, great. So it's not Carlisle. <laughs> no disrespect to <laughs> Carlisle. And um, then through all the places that you'll, obviously you and every everybody living in England will know, Preston, Blackpool, Blackburn. Uh, somewhere else and somewhere else, Wigan, and then we turned off for Southport, and I thought, oh shit, it's Southport, Southport, <laughs> and I'm wrecking my brains to think what what's going on in Southport, and um, I couldn't think. We stopped at the Prince of Wales Hotel, which I remember was in the High Street. Right. Get out of the car. Sean says, "I oh, was just stopped for a cup of tea and some sandwiches." Great. So I went up to reception and I said to the girl at reception, "Who plays in Southport?" <laughs> And she said, um, only Southport. I said, what league are they in? Oh, she says, they're a non-league team. Um, I went, oh, my God. So I had no idea yeah, geography-wise. I had no idea what was 15, 20 miles from Southport. I had no idea we were close to Manchester. Back in the car. And before I know it, I'm going through the gates at Anfield. Liverpool were playing Burnley. FA Cup replay. And, of course, I know now Liverpool, and I know it's Bill Shankly. Um I, I'm, I remember I broke out in a sweat because ferocious, yeah. uh, no nonsense, all those words. I think I, f I was to describe Bill Shankly, just like Jock Steen. So it was a, he was a he was a carbon copy of what I was going to meet now, and I didn't know how I was going to approach it. I didn't know 
how to negotiate. I didn't know, take the first offer he offers me yeah. uh, and then just say, thank you, Mr. Shankly. Yeah, yeah. So I went, I went in, they made me the offer and I was quite happy with the offer. Went and sat in the stand to watch the game. I always remember bald-headed midfield player for Burnley, Peter Noble. Peter Noble. And then I followed him ever since because when he was playing because I liked what he did that night, even though Liverpool won the game easy. I thought, that Peter Noble's all right. Um, up and down midfield player. Went and sat in the director's box. Packed it was. Seat to my left was the only seat in the director's box. Empty. Um, minute after kickoff, Paddy Crerin comes in, sits down. Assistant manager at Manchester United. Aye. Played for Celtic. Yeah. I knew him. He knew me. What are you doing here? I said, I'm signing for Liverpool. And he said, well, we didn't know you were available. And nobody would have known you were available. So that the penny then dropped that I was kept back for the jock's pal, who was Bill Shankly. And um, I just thought, oh, my God. Because as soon as Manchester United, I knew Manchester United were interested. The three names that just popped up right away in my head were Besslaw and Charlton. And I thought, Liverpool, best team there is at the moment. Uh, will I get in the team? Will I not? Uh, Old Trafford, they're struggling a little bit. And I'll be able to train, train with George Best and Bobby Charlton and Dennis Law, who I knew from the Scotland team. And um, I had my mind made up during that game that I was going to Old Trafford. And then I remembered, I've still got to go back to Mr Shankly Shanks, yeah. and tell him that, uh, that I'm not going to sign. Um and I didn't go back and tell him I wasn't going to sign. I told him I needed time to think about Did it, you? which was a lie. I didn't need, I didn't need any time to think about it. Went back to the Adelphi Hotel in Liverpool. in Liverpool. Yeah, and um, jumped on the train the next morning to meet Tommy Doc. And it was all during that journey. I was just wondering what Bill Shankly was going to say, but I didn't have the nerve. You know, I was yeah. youngish at the time. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have the nerve to face him, and and I just didn't want to get into a yeah. auction as yeah. well. So I went and sat and signed for Manchester United. And then did did obviously he just find out by default that you'd... Uh... Uh, he found out when I was on my way to Glasgow. Uh, that's where I met Tommy Doherty. And I think he dropped a line to the press lads that uh, it doesn't matter anyway. He only wanted me for their reserve team. Which yes, I thought, absolutely Which classic, I thought was James, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I thought that was brilliant, yeah. But, but that's what managers were like at the time. You got some fun out of them, some good good humour, and, and I laughed and I laughed and I laughed, and I thought, um, right, I'll meet you one day. <laughs> so then you went on to add this, you know, let's face it, 200-odd games for United, illustrious career. 401 games 401. for United, yeah. Was it, sorry? 401, 401 games, and um, 401 games, and, and loved loved every minute of it. Um, I, I Tommy Doherty there as my manager, who I'd been with in the Scotland team. Yeah. So I, I knew the doc, bundle of fun, funny fella, and um, set about life at Old Trafford. Survived three managers, or some people say, because of me, three managers got the sack. <laughs> um, I don't think so. No, um, Tommy Doc, who was great. Dave Sexton, who was who was brilliant as well. And Big Ron, who had great character, football mad, and very enthusiastic. So they all had different strengths, but they were, they were all... Good managers, Dave Sexton, maybe not the right guy for Old Trafford because coach, very good coach, yeah. great coach, great coach, very serious. And you know, as players, we could tell him, and we did at times, we did say to him, Dave, don't be so serious. This is Manchester United, you can be serious at somewhere else, you can be serious at Arsenal or wherever or whatever or whatever. But Old Trafford is not just about being a football manager, it's about entertainment and it's about not being so serious. Supposed to be a fun place, 
that uh, that a lot of players have played at and regret the day they've got to leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so great eleven years, enjoyed every moment of it, and then um, didn't really know what I was going to do, and um, got a phone call about management. Was I interested? And I went to Swindon and went there as a manager, but I, I had no great Did intention. You, uh, you didn't have any intention before. No, that, not really. I just thought. What's well, a matter of it happens so quickly? When they tell you, or when you get a letter through the post to say that uh, you're not renewing your contract, and that's the first time you know about it, you've not got much time to plan ahead, and you don't plan ahead, which I didn't do. I just, I just realised that uh, that was it. My, you know, my my time was up yeah, there. Yeah. My days at Old Trafford were up, and um, really hits you, really hits you on the day that uh, you don't go to pre-season training. That's when it hits you. You're sitting at home. That route to the cliff, which you used to take every day, penny drops, and you're not going to be doing it anymore. Do you think that was was it a, a difficult thing for you that 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 change of you know that wow I'm at the end of this this fate this brilliant? It wasn't. I think it was until you sit down and think, right, what have I done? What have I not done? What's my career been like? Because you don't think of those things when you are playing. But after it, I remember sitting at home thinking, played for Celtic, played for Manchester United, I played for Scotland. I've been to a World Cup. I played at the Maracanã Stadium that holds 180,000. I played at Hamden Park, which 138,000 record crowd was in there. Lasted 11 years at Old Trafford, which wow. he does, yeah. not many people do. Um, there was players that hadn't been to Wembley and played. I was there three three times in four years. And better players than me who played for Manchester United had never been. So you realise that um, all those things... Which when you start out your career, if someone offered you all the things that I've just mentioned, when you're starting out, you'd grab it, Snap wouldn't you? Hand off, Snap the hand off. You'd grab it and say, give me it. I'll take, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd take half of that. So I then realised, right, whatever you do now and whatever you want to do now is a bit of a bonus. Wow. Go and do it. Go and enjoy it. And um, see what see what follows on. So you, went, so you got into management and you started at Swindon. I started at Swindon. Um, I was there six or seven years running through the streets of Swindon to go to training. That was something we did. Uh, people still talk about it now in do Swindon, they, the they? team every day. Do you remember them? Yeah, yeah running brilliant. through the streets to go to the training ground, um, to go up in the hills, because around Swindon's lots of stables Aye. with, with uh, tr- racing trainers there, and we used to go up in the hills where they trained all the horses, and, and um, some of our players were quicker than some of the horses yeah, that yeah. were going about. So we, we did that, and we had a good time at Swindon, and we were... Renowned as being a tough team to beat. When I went there, bottom of the the old fourth division. Yeah. After a month, uh, I was thinking, right, what we're going to do here? How are we going to do it? Because I didn't have a clue. I'd never done anything. I hadn't been in management. And I thought, right, I'm going to just follow the managers that I had. So a combination of Jock and and what he had done and how he managed. Uh, A bit of Tommy Doherty thrown in. What was Tommy's? The humour. Humour. Funny, funny, funny man. And believe it or not, if people think football is a serious game all about plotting and planning with systems and formations, all the manager that they just mentioned didn't have any of that. They didn't believe in it. This has just crept in in the last five or six, seven years, whatever. And Doc in the dressing room before games was, was very witty, very clever, very sharp. And you actually, as a player, you forgot you were going out there right. to do battle. Fantastic. That's an art. Yeah. People don't believe, realise that they think, and they can stand in a dressing room and tell jokes. But no, he had a way of doing it. Um, and as I say, Dave 
followed me on it. They followed Doc on it, Old Trafford. Um, Dave was a good man, and I think we all respected him for that. Um, honest, uh, you could have an opinion. Dave would have his opinion. Never fall out with you. Wanted you to do the best you could in everything you did. And then Ron came along, and um, Ron was funny. Ron liked his football. Uh, he used to join in, which made it even better for us because he wasn't the fittest at the time. And um, yeah. we could waltz around him and waltz around him again. Yeah. Um, so I was very lucky in that as well, that I had these men who were called managers who were supposed to be managing you, which they all did exceptionally well. And you took all that, every, you took, sucked all that up, even if it was subconscious, you sucked yeah. it up and took it with you. Yeah. yeah, because I looked at what they had done and how they'd handled things. And I thought, yeah, all of them have got, uh, they're not all the same, but all of them have got an unbelievable asset, which ends up you being the manager of Manchester United yeah. Football Club, manager of Celtic or the manager of Scotland. And, um, you know, following people like that who had got right to the top, I thought was possibly the right thing to do rather than me just guessing and, and yeah, yeah. you know, having a stab in the dark. So at Swindon, we uh, we climbed from bottom of, third bottom of that bottom division. We climbed into the next division to the next division and then the next division and got beaten the playoffs to go yeah. right to the, the which was the uh, the top league at the time, Division 1 it was called. Yeah. And, uh, of course, during that time, I had a couple of chances to move on, which I didn't, and then took an opportunity to move on um, at West Ham which I wanted to do because I liked the club and I liked everything about Upton Park. Yeah, yeah. Fans were fantastic. Anytime I'd been there as an opposition player and I, and I looked at the players they had that come through their ranks over the years and I thought, this club's done all right. Uh, John Lyle had been in charge for a number of years. Yeah. They'd been loyal to him. And I thought, well, it's got all the hallmarks of a, of a club that needs a new manager. Obviously, John had, had got the sack. Uh, what I didn't realise was going there and following after a man, a bit like Sir Alex at Man United, whoever has proved, whoever's to follow him, was going to be was in the struggle. And you go in and you find out this man who's been there before has done something his way for yeah. 15, 16, yeah. 17 years, yeah, whatever yeah. it may be, at Upton Park. And you're not saying it's wrong because it was right. He he was in the job for that long. But then you come in and you've got other ideas and, and uh, players find it hard or don't want to yeah. adjust. A bit of friction in there. A bit of friction. You get a bit of friction. You get this and that, and you get some good guys in the dressing. You get some others yeah. not so good. Yeah. And um, so it didn't work out for me there. But then I moved on, and uh, I ended up at Birmingham, which was great as well. I like I like going to places where there's a bit of madness. That got a bit of madness at Birmingham. Eh? Madness at Birmingham. Madness at Upton Park because there's plenty of banter. There was plenty of madness on the terraces. There's plenty of good support for the team. Went to. Birmingham was again second bottom or something and they had no money, nothing at all. So I couldn't buy a player. Chairman told me that. And um went there, went to the final at Wembley of the Leyland Daff, I think it was at the time. Um, we won it, took a fanatical support with us. They still talk about that game well, nowadays yeah, because yeah. not a great deal's happened. They've been to Wembley since. And um so I went there and, and um Chairman had said he'd look after me because I didn't have a contract. He'd look after me if I did anything for Birmingham. And um, got in there, won it, and he didn't look after me. So I just said to him, no, you, he gave me a, a payment that I thought was derisory. And I just said, you need that more than me, and, and I'm off. Again, didn't have a clue where I was going to go. 
And um, next day I got a call from Stoke. And again, there's a madness about Stoke, Victoria Ground, Booth and End. I've been there as a player. You get dogs abuse when you come down. There's a little tunnel on to, from the dressing room onto the pitch. Just yeah, a small two tunnel. White That's what two white walls. Yeah, everyone's cussing and swearing at in you. In the paddocks, like, yeah, 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 in the paddock. You know, f off back to Manchester and all that. And um, well, I mean, if you come from United, you've got something to get over, Lou. And let's yeah. face it, you did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you did it, but you did it. Yeah, yeah but uh, so I remember those. I remember those days as as a Manchester United player, and I thought, oh, I like that craziness as well. And I always believed it was a one of those grounds. And there's, there are lots of grounds, but not that many are worth a goal of a start because there's something about the ground. Yeah. Something that, that about the ground. And I found, I thought, this is a place, goal of a start. I'm, I'm going to take this job if I get offered it. Got offered the job and, and I took it and three years there, Celtic came along at a time where there was chaos, mayhem, board were getting kicked out, board had no money, new owners coming in. I'd never been football told me, don't go near the place, don't take it, don't touch it, uh, you'll be there five minutes and you'll be out because there's new owners, new owners want their man in. But I supported Celtic, I'd played for them and I was just desperate to be a Celtic manager. I went back and, of course, quickly I realised everything people had said to me was, was coming through. New new board, new owner, want, they want their own man. Certainly don't want a manager who had been brought in by the previous board of directors. They want their own man. So um left there and went back to Stoke. Stoke wanted me back. Went back to Stoke and... um Enjoyed my time the was second that, time as was much that as the a first. Hard thing for you, having had that love of Celtic as a boy and been through that complete, you know, journey as a, as, a, as a ground staff lad and jock and the, you know, I mean, wow, you couldn't be at Celtic at a more poignant time in in their history. And you did all that, and then you went back, and then all of a sudden you're out of favour. Was that hard for you, Lou? At that point, uh, not really, because uh, I'd never, I'd never seen Celtic Park or experienced Celtic Park with fifteen thousand people in it, yeah. sixteen thousand. But it was demonstrations, yeah. people stopping people from going into the games. What was it was it was chaos. It was mayhem. Um, went to Ibrox uh, with no support. Wow! I'm the only Celtic manager to ever done that. And when the chairman told me, I said, "He's crackers. You don't go to Ibrox with no support." Ah. Uh, the support over the years. Well, he was Canadian, so he didn't understand it. Yeah. I said, "The support over the years has been probably the main reason yeah. why Celtic have won at Ibrox and continue to go there and win." You don't win if you go there with no support. You'll get eaten alive, I said. And, yeah, yeah. you know, that could have happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we went there with no support and, and funny enough, scored the first goal. You could hear a pin drop. And I think there was one fella jumped up. Wow. When the goal was scored. Brave man, eh? Well, I don't think he's ever been seen since. <laughs> but there was one fella and he jumped up and I thought, you bloody idiot. Because there is no, there's no prisoners there. Let's face 70, it. Seventy thousand people yeah. there, and you've jumped up. I thought, if you come in sports Celtic, just stand there. Don't open your mouth. But anyway, he jumped up and uh, bit of chaos on where it was, and and the game continued. Rangers got an equaliser, and we come back with a with a one all draw. But um, so my, my my time at Celtic was was there because I had to, I had to given the opportunity, and the opportunity was there. I had to go back. Uh, it was the board, same board as a been managing for the previous 10 years so I had to go back And but people did say they won't be there that long they'll get ousted and once they get ousted you'll get ousted but uh, no I had to had to try it well absolutely and then so you went to Stoke back to Stoke yeah went back to Stoke had some fantastic times eh? yeah Stoke was a great great place I mean people say to me where where was your best place um, in management and as a player uh, and I say the same thing to everybody where you've been 
and done okay and been accepted and done okay whether it's management or as a player, those are your best places. If you've been somewhere that uh, hasn't, you haven't done any good as a manager or as a player, then you sort of try and get them out of your memory as, as being... Yeah, and Lou is somebody who's been who's from the city and, and has heard, you know, as, as okay, I've had my finger on the pulse in terms of because my family is Stoke supporters and all that. You're, you know, and I'm not here to embarrass you, but you know, you are a, you're up there for, for, for Stoke City supporters. You're you're recognised and you're you're idolised by, by Stoke City supporters, Lou. You know that that's a fact. I know that from because I know people who are supporters. You know, and they, um, well, I was I was really fortunate that a bunch of players that I managed to get in who responded to all the not my ways, Jockstein ways, all the uh managers that I'd worked yeah. under. With great fun. I told you about Tommy Dalt was a bundle of fun. We introduced fun we introduced fun at the Victoria Ground because of things we did. I got a circus clown in. Tom, listen, I, I know Nello because I, <laughs> I, I live, believe it on Lanark Walks in Thistle. All right, yeah, Street that's where Nello. he lives. Right. I, and I used to give so I do know Nello, yeah. So just tell me for people who don't know the the bit where you know you, the story of him getting involved because Lou, I bet you a pound to anything that there's no other football manager who would actually be brave enough to do that kind of thing. Well, of course, I I didn't know him. I'd never seen him before in my life. Um, the film that we made obviously tells you everything, which is true about how we we got together. And um, so I get the manager's job at uh, Stoke, and one day getting into the ground, he turns up. Uh, in the early days, this was with a, another ten or twelve supporters. And as I'm going in, they're chanting and saying, "Hope you do well and all the best." And we want a winning team and all this. And so I went in there, trained all day with the players, and at five o'clock at night came out and it was pelting down with rain, and everyone had gone as you would expect. Not just sitting there, sitting in the rain all day waiting for me to come out. Sort of six hours after I've gone in, but he was there, and. Um, I never forget it. He come, I come out and I said, "What are you doing here?" And he said, "No." Oh. And he made up some excuse. And I, re- I realised after that he was good at making up some yeah. excuse to introduce himself to you. So he says to me, "Oh, I just, um, <laughs> I, I, I just wanted to wish you all the best." So I said, um, "Were you not here earlier? Were you not one of them earlier that was wishing me all the best?" Yeah, but I wanted to give you my special wishing you all oh, the yeah. best. So I said, "Oh, thanks." I said, "What's your name?" He said, "Nello." I said, Nello. He said, yeah, Nello the clown. So I said, wait a minute, fill me in. I don't get this. What, what, what do you mean? What do you mean, Nello the clown? Well, he says, um, I'm, um, I'm, I'm a circus clown and I've worked in the circus all my life. And so I said to him, well, why are you not there now no. then? What are you doing here? Got the sack. <laughs> of, of which I did what you just done. I bust out laughing because I'd never heard of a circus clown getting the sack. So I said, what do you mean? Oh, the owner didn't like me. He didn't like me. I said, oh, where was this? He said, up in Scotland. So I said, right. I said, so you got the sack in Scotland, circus clown. I take it they don't, didn't pay you that well. And he said, no. I said, well, how did you get back here? He said, well, I had no money, so I hitched a lift. I said, what do you mean you hitched a lift? He said, well, I'm very close to the church. This was confusing me now. Circus clown, hitching a lift, church. And I said, so... So what did you do? He said, well, I went into um, one of the churches at uh, Stirling or somewhere or whatever it was, and then somebody there gave me a lift to Dumfries, to the church there, and uh, the guy at Dumfries, the church, gave me a lift here. So I said, all right. 
So I said, what? So I said to him, what are you going to do now? He says, um, I'd like to do something with Stoke City. <laughs> so I thought, all right. And then I had a couple of minutes just to think about things, and I thought, circus clown, dressing room, and with some other clowns, um, lively, banter, good times, bad times, good times, wouldn't need him so often, and so much as the bad times, where he can maybe lift the dressing room. And um said to him, how would you like to come and work with me? And he said, what has? I said, and I, I took time to think, because I could just couldn't yeah, think yeah, yeah. of a tag to give him. I said, kit man. Did you like that? So he said, uh, all right. I said, you'll be able to do that. Put the kit out, bring it in, wash it. We, we didn't have a kit man. So I said, kit man. He said, right, when do I start? I said, Monday, uh, 10 o'clock. So I wasn't even sure he'd turn up at 10 o'clock on Monday, but because I've just met this guy. I don't well, know if he's really a circus clown. Fantastic. And um, so he comes in on Monday. Now I know I've got him. I've now got him because he is in. He is in. Yeah. So I said, right, you come with me. So I got him in the car, went up to where I'm speaking now, went up to about 150 yards from here to the costume shop, and I got him a chicken outfit. Serious. Right, so I brought him back. So instead of putting the, the clown's paint on and all that, I want you to be in the chicken outfit when you get introduced to the players. So um, half ten comes, we go out training. Before it, I go into the players. I've, I've dressed them in my office. Said to the players, lads, we've got a kit man now. He's the guy that's going to help you with your washing and all that, look after you. And I'm bringing him in. So I brought him in in the chicken outfit with a big beak and everything. And uh, all the players are sitting around. And as I bring him in, they're all looking at one another. You don't know and looking at me, they don't know what's happening. And um, somebody said, like, as he wouldn't address him, what the f*** is going on? And somebody else said, who the f*** are you? <laughs> you can cut out this swearing if you want to, right. can't you? Yeah, yeah. And I said, yeah. 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 He's the new kit man. Oh, what do you mean new kit man? I said, the new kit man is going to look after you. So um, took the top off, the hat, head off, and they now seen Nello for the first time. And uh, as the days went by and the weeks went by and the months went by, it got better and better and better. The the camaraderie, yeah, it, yeah. the banter in the dressing room. Um, some who used to, on purpose, you know, shout abuse at him just to get a response from him. And then he could shout back yeah, at them. Yeah. And um, and as you've seen in the film, as a result of that, a lot of things developed. Revenge when we went to Tranmere one night and when the players went out, I said to him, for all that stick they've given you this week, Neil, get all their underpants on. So he put every player's underpants on yeah. underneath, un, under, yeah. underneath his tracksuit yeah. bottoms. And when the team went out, um, they had no idea yeah. that all their underpants had gone and came back into the dressing room that, and... The pair that was the first pair on was Martin Carruthers because they were silk boxer shorts he just bought in Manchester. Like 30 quid as well, mate. I was posting about it. What's 30 quid? He's just posting about it. Spent 30 quid on these in Kendall's. Um, Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) So I said, make sure Carruthers is right next to your backside. (laughs) So so then he put Overson's on, then he put somebody else's on. And the one thing they all knew he did was in the dugout, he could fart for 90 minutes. He could no, win no. that dugout and, and trump for 90 yeah, minutes. Yeah. So yeah. so um, they're out there playing. In they come. Carruthers scores the winning goal. Completely oh, coincident. You? you couldn't write it. So first in the, the bath was Carruthers. He's cock-a-hoop. <laughs> first out the bath is Carruthers. Cock-a-hoop. Are you around watching that? Like, and I'm watching. <laughs> and I'm thinking, here we go. So he goes for these underpants. First thing you put on. Right, can't see him. 
some Nick Monday pants. <laughs> and one by one, they all get out the the bath, and all their underpants are gone. In the meantime, I sent him into the toilet to get his tracksuit bottom off and come in with a 12 pair of underpants. I think there was one sub at the time, so he only had one sub, so there was 12 players with 12 pair of underpants on. So he came and just stood in the middle of the dressing room with his 12 pair of underpants on, and Carruthers, Carruthers said to him, my underpants better not be where I think they might be, which is next to your smelly backside. So one by one, he took them off like a stripper, threw them <laughs> up in the air, and of course, the one at the very yeah, bottom yeah, was Martin Carruthers. Carruthers. <laughs> so that was him. He was in for another bit of a beating then. So they <laughs> laid nah, in I him. bet that got him, got him a bit of respect, Liv, actually, did it? Oh, they, that, yeah. they loved him. They loved the banter they had with him. And, you know, when you sign a footballer, you take great delight and pride when, if he turns out to be okay, yeah. that's a footballer. I took as much pride and delight when Neil turned out to be okay because of what he did, what he did for me. Anything you I said he was your great, great, that's the best classic signing, ever. Best signing I've ever made. Well, it was because little Mark Steen scored plenty of goals. Mike Sharon scored plenty of goals. Vince Overson was a rock at Mountain, the back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lee Sanford was great. Uh, Ian Cranston. They were all, they all did. No warriors there. Warriors. Yeah. That's a great word to describe them all. I mean, and, that defence, and, uh, do you know, blimey, like, you, you'd look at that and you'd think, wow, how are we going to, they yeah. were, they were absolute. They were. And it worked that the, most of the players we brought in, and I do believe because of the, the banter in the dressing room, uh, because of the training where we trained hard, because of the, the seriousness which we applied, uh, apart from when Neil was around, that, uh, it all put it all together. Got us a winning team, a happy team, and even players, even players that weren't picked, because only you know only twelve could be involved back then. Even players that weren't picked still dug in and did their bit when called upon. Which sometimes is is not easy to do. You're on the sidelines, you get a bit frustrated. But top of all, them was Neil, because he was He's he was a uh, he was the ace ace card wow, in the in a, the park. What a, what a story! So. Look, look, I know time's moving on, and I'm, I could sit here. I'm enjoying this. Is absolutely, you know, blimey. I'm just getting fed some stuff here. It's just, just the best stuff I've ever heard. It's wonderful stuff to share. So, about your management, you know, the, the main thing I wanted to kind of get to at some point was how you went from your management to, to doing what you do now. Because, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, um, you know, in Stoke on Trent, we've got what's called the Macari Centre. And, um, I want you, Lou, in your own words, to kind of just perhaps, you know, if you've got anything else you want to talk about with your management to finish it off, to bring you to this point. Cause it, it no, was... I think we'll get to, to this point here because this is um, the next step in, in something I'm doing that, that I didn't intend to do. Never had any intentions of of trying to get some, something up and running that looked after homeless people. All that happened was uh, I was at home one night reading the local paper and read that there was various uh, numbers being banded about of how many homeless people there was in Stoke-on-Trent. Some councillors saying there was only this amount, others saying there was 10 times the amount. And I just thought, well, I'll go and find out for myself. Jumped in my car, Did you? went up to Hanley, parked my car, got out of the car, and wow. Royal Bank of Scotland, which is on, it's yeah, closed now. Yeah, the one go directly up into Hanley. Yeah, yeah the one that goes directly right up to Hanley, on the right-hand side. Uh, three people sleeping rough there. Across the road. How long ago was this, Lou? This was about three and a bit years right. ago. Across the road, there was um, the walkabout next to the walkabout right. pub. Right. There was um, 
a sort of shelter there where they used to congregate. There's about six or seven of them in there. Uh, four of them were Stoke supporters, three Port Vale. So we had a bit of banter. Did you? Yeah, a bit of banter with the Stoke lads. Argued, argued with the Vale you know, lads. Did, did, did well, the Stoke lads did. The yeah. Vale lads, I'm not too sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wow. That was another seven. And then just walked around at the main shopping area and there was a, a man here and there was a woman there and the, the people spread out all over the place. Probably came across in the space of 10, 15 minutes, probably came across um, 15 to 20 and I thought, well, it's a bit too many and, and, and thought, well, wonder if there's anything I could do because I thought I haven't done a great deal uh, since I've retired and I haven't done a great deal since um, in football management that is. I haven't done a great deal for anybody throughout my football career because your football career is that much to do you sort of forget about everybody else the demands of it and I thought well knew one of the city councillors who had been a journalist in in my time as Stoke manager who'd come down on a Friday for team news and any other news I had for him and thought right payback time I'm going to ask him if he's got a building in Stoke-on-Trent or if he can help get a building in Stoke-on-Trent because the council must have hundreds get me the keys and I'll open it up and bring the people in and Got a roof over the head, which is a start. Stop. And um, did that. This is the building you're in now. Uh, I had no intention when when I asked for the building for it to be showers to be put in it and and dormitories in it and a kitchen and, and but that was all there when we first started and it was more than I'd, than I had actually asked for because I just intended to get as many people as quickly as possible off the street, off the street and a roof over the head. I only thought of a roof, nothing else, because the night I went up into Hanley, it was cold, it was wet, and I thought, my God, I couldn't do this if for this one night. Wow, yeah. I couldn't do this for one night, and these people are doing it for ever and ever and ever. And um, so that was up and running, and things have just gone from from there, really. I didn't know anything about homelessness, didn't know anything about homeless people, couldn't judge them, because so I, I had no right to judge them, I didn't know anything about them. Um, didn't know how things operated. Um, I did realise obviously there was drink involved, drugs involved. I probably didn't realise there were so many relationships involved in it as well. Probably the number one thing is a breakdown in relationships, yeah. lead people to leaving home or they kick off at home. Police come, police remove the the man, and the man comes and looks for shelter somewhere. And this has become that shelter for lots of men. And lots of women, um, and circumstances, and and how they get here, uh, I'm not too bothered about. We do a, an assessment on them. If there's something on the assessment we don't like, or if, if there's something, we'll we'll dig a little bit deeper and ask them why they've been thrown out of this place or that place or that place. And then uh, what we've done is is bring them in, and um, for those that want to try and respond a bit like a footballer who's trying to make his way in the game if you want you really want to do it then stick with us you'll we'll try and do our best for you if you're playing at it or you don't really so you try and give them a a structure to, to actually get off off where they are onto a better platform that well that's all that can be done because i mean i had a lot of fancy things talked about when i when i started and a lot of the things that we talked about are unachievable you know if it was if there's medical workers out there that could get somebody or get a number of people heading for for um, maybe lifetime uh, homelessness, if, if you could get them to go from that all of a sudden to having a family, money, 
a job, job, career. all those things, a career, wow. miracle. Um, too, too, too many steps, Lou. It's too, too many too steps. Away. But I'd heard all this nonsense, and I thought, well, we'll see what happens. And I quickly learned that if you can do anything for them that changes that life on the streets, anything, if you can change it slightly from... Just a baby step towards something better. Yeah. Then I started hearing people saying, well, you know, how uh, many have you got ready to move on? I just laugh at that. Because people who are asking the question know that people are not ready to move on um, especially as there's no medical workers involved, yeah. the surviving, and to survive, I'll tell you something. That, that's 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 a miracle, and that's if you notice if you notice which was my job, if you notice something good in a footballer, that's going to be that person's strength, and you've got to push them towards using that all the time. You can find something good in a in a, in a homeless person because for that man or woman to wake up every morning with no money in the pocket. And go wherever they're going and have no prospect of a future and no food, uh, dressed in the same clothes as they were dressed the night before, no support from anybody. Their life's not going to change. So what's happened with us here? We have, we've grown not because of, of anything I've done, but because of what other people have done mainly in, in supporting us with clothes, with money that, uh, donations we get, certainly with food. The food, the response with food from, there's too many names to mention in Stoke-on-Trent that help us out with food. But that is, is a major thing. And immediately you start giving people food who have never had food. That changes their life. You start giving them clothes when they've never had clothes. And then they get a bit of respect back. And then you demand from them that they go to court and show the court a bit of respect by getting dressed up, being on time, doing all the things that you should be doing. Um, and they do do that. That's another little tick against them, you know, for them rather. Yeah. And there's so many little things that you can do for them or ask them to do it themselves. They'll, they can change the routine they've been in, which yeah. is a losing routine. Yeah. Same rubbish, same garbage, drug dealers waiting on the end of a telephone. Nothing's going to change. I, I can't beat drugs. I've tried and I've used, tried to use various techniques to convince people that the drugs are this and that, which they are. They're bad and, but I'll never beat it. So I've got to look for, I've got to look for little steps. Got to think of things like day out with them all. Mm-hmm. That gets them out of Hanley, gets them away somewhere they've never been. And when I say they've never been, I could take them anywhere because they've never been anywhere, ne- never been outside of of Hanley. So if I can get a bus organised and we jump on the bus and we end up at the seaside and we end up having fish and chips at six o'clock and they've been on the ride somewhere. That day is is brilliant. That day has changed something. That's shown them that there is life somewhere else, and it's possible. It is possible, and you just hope that um, one day that things happen to people. Recently, we've just had a couple that have been here, not as a couple, but as individuals, for two year and a half. One of them getting on for two years. The other one, when they come in, and when they were with us during that period of time, I couldn't see. A great deal of light at the end of the tunnel. I couldn't see. I couldn't see where we were going. I couldn't see what a a success would be for them and for us. Couldn't see it. I just couldn't identify it. And then all of a sudden, the female was pregnant. Asked who the the father could be. She was in no doubt. That's the father. The father was one that I couldn't see any route for. Yeah. And um, 
the baby's on its way in about probably four or five weeks' time. They are together. They've moved into a house. Wow. I'm not saying it's all going to smooth. smooth. It's all going to work out because they've still got a lack of funding, still got a lack of various other things that they need. But the baby on the way, I think, is just another another step for them to take on board that what they're, what they're achieving with a kid on the wow. way now. They've got to smarten up a little bit more again. More responsibility, yeah. Because that's a success, Lou. That's amazing, yeah, really. I never seen it. I couldn't see it happening. Uh, lots of other things have happened in here. So, you know, just so people have got an understanding, so um, do you have a, when people come to you, um, have you got a certain number of, because um, you, you run like a day part to it and, or, or, or a, like a day centre part to it, or is it, are they here like full-time if they come? They're here you? full-time once they turn up at our gate. And you've got a bed available. Kind and of we've got a bed available. That's the first thing I'm going to take them in. And how many how many people can you accommodate with? Well, we we started with 12 and we went to 14, we went to 16. Uh, now we've got 44. Wow. And I know, are you pretty... And we're busted. All the time. Yeah, we, we're... People turn up saying, have you got anywhere near? Yes. Say, I'm sorry, I haven't. I don't want, yeah. People say, how's it doing? I don't know the answer to that because I don't know the answer to it. You've got 44 people who otherwise would be without a shelf, without a roof, in the cold, vulnerable, yeah. hungry, and all the rest of it. Well, even just one of them, I know that uh, that we've. When I said, "How are you doing?" I don't know the answer to give to. Oh, we're doing great. We've got more people in than ever. I don't know if that's a right answer for doing great, or or that's doing terrible because we've got more people in than well, we've ever had. I think the answer to that. So one, yeah. it's an awkward one when you ask that question. How are you doing? Well, we've got forty-four people now. We used to have fourteen, sixteen. But they've got clothes, they've got this and that. They've got everything. And as a result, I've um, just recently banned them from going up to Hanley and begging. Because I got them all in the room one night. I said, um, if any of you are begging in Hanley, can you explain to me why? Silence. Nobody can explain why they were begging. I said, we'll give you clothes, or the public give you clothes. Go to that gate every night, three times a night. We get food three times a day. We give you breakfast, lunch, evening meal and supper as well because of the amount of food we get in so there's nothing you need is there? so they all said no i said well if there's nothing you need you don't need to go up to hand to beg to go and give the money to some drug dealer all agreed and they all agreed wow. so i'm not saying that somebody won't sneak up to handley because i know somebody will <laughs> uh so you know so do you do people move on from from you lou with a regularly is the turnover kind of just variable depending on people's circumstances how does that kind of thing work or do you kind of have a strategy where you look to try and facilitate people moving on to, to something else you, you, they're ready as far as i'm concerned they're ready to move on when they make that move from here to right. somewhere else right. all on their own right but we don't most of the time we give them support and we're picking up the phone and, but then when we get a feel they can do all that themselves that tells me they're ready to move on yeah. until they can except they're going to get an electricity bill, gas bill, TV license, all those little things, they're going to have to deal with them. Or if they've got a young lady involved and they're in a relationship, they're going to have to make sure they buy the food and they've got televisions and got all those things to do until I'm certain that uh, they can cope with them reasonable. I don't regard them as ready to move on just because I've found somewhere for them to move on. Yeah. So wow. we, um, I, I want somebody to be coming every day and saying to me, I found this place, and I know what's involved, and, and I'll be able to pay for it, and I'll be able to feed myself, 
because what has happened most of the time, we've had a few people going and then coming back. Right. Because we feed them, give them the clothes, and they've not had they've not had the the finance to go and do what they want to do or what they thought they would do. So we um we just welcome them back and say yeah, wow. try again wow. and next time you go out, let's see if it happens. And we we want it to happen, we want it to be successful. But with um with drugs and drink, um there's 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 just there's two enemies there that are in the way of of anything that anybody yeah. wants to do to help homeless people. Yeah. So how have you got um? Do really? I mean, I've I've experienced it for for a few minutes while I was waiting for you, and um, it was just wonderful to see just the the interaction with you and them. Um, to, you, to, that, to you, that's normally, but but yeah. for somebody who can see that for the first time, you can always tell when there's a there's a an element of respect between people, and that was so obvious. Have you got a um, a vision of how you want this to go, or are you just happy going, like you say, baby step day to day um, and helping people? Or? The building we're in is great, but we need to move out of here. Right. Um, we've been here long enough, and and I think uh, I think I owe it to well, I don't think I owe it to the people that are here. I'll take you around a minute because you're, I should have taken you around first. I'll take you around a minute because they're in they're in a dormitory. And everybody, most other people in Stoke on Trent that are homeless or that are living somewhere else are in their own room. Yeah. So we need rooms. We need a place with bedrooms. And um, I'm confident with the support of of everybody that supports us, we will get that. But we need to do it quickly. I can't have. There's no. Yeah. I want I want to help them. Next step, I want to help them. I want them to have their own room, their own privacy, and then that'll be my next big step. Massive step. So it's unbelievable. It's wonderful. I can't wait to have a little look around it. What look? Um, the idea of this, as, as well as you know, um, people hearing your story, is actually to to highlight this. And so, how can anybody listen to this thing? Do you know what? That's a worthwhile cause. I'm interested in helping out. I'm interested in finding out more. What's the best way they can help you get in touch with your, you know, the, the Macquarie Centre? What What's the best thing we can do for that? Um, I find it hard to to actually answer that because. We've had so much help already from from lots and lots of people. When I first started, I didn't get any help from anybody. As a matter of fact, I got lots of obstacles put in my way. I've overcome that now. If those obstacles weren't put in my way, I might not be sitting here today, actually. But it drove me to say, right. All right, I'll show you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I won't say any more, but that's... Um, Thank Jock Steen for that. Eh? Well, because <laughs> he's brought me up like that. And... Um, and I met lots of nasty people. Did you? I did. And I don't like nasty people. I prefer to be with good people yeah. and mixing with the people I'm mixing with now um, that, are, that have been unfortunate, as good as they may be, um, a lot have been unfortunate. Um, I'm still here to help them. I might not have been, to be honest with you, Rob, because I set out to do was to get a building, roof over the head, and I was scratching my head at night thinking, why are they trying to put barriers in my way and then I realised a penny dropped why that was and I thought well no I'm not having that I'm not going to and with a great deal of hope from people in the a great deal of support rather from the public and a great deal of support from people in the council council being the main thing that supported me and only a certain number I wouldn't want to say everybody in the council because that's not true Yeah, yeah. but um, people that did stuck with me and I became even more determined for it all to kick off and to get better 
and it has got better. It's like a football team. When you get a football team together at Stoke and, and they're a winning team, you do your bit, but they do their bit. The players themselves and, and the people I've got here have done their bit. Yeah. Lots of trouble in homeless shelters. It's at a minimum in here, I believe. Because, and I think you mentioned it, I think they realise it's mine and, and don't want to upset me. And I try not to upset them. So I'm quite lenient in, in, quite lenient in things that I may be letting them away with that I wouldn't be lenient with um, somebody who wasn't homeless. Yeah, yeah. But what you you know that it would be futile in this situation to have a war about it because it's, it's yeah I'm not going to have a war. Of that is that they're going to yeah be out of here and, yeah I yeah. can have five you know I can have a war of words or a or a physical one and and don't really see where either of them are going. But I do every so often try to remind remind Absolutely. them that that um, we're all still here because of a lot of people, not just because my name's on the door. My name wouldn't be on the door if I had a lot of support from a lot of people. And when I say a lot of people, I mean we're going into hundreds, close to a thousand, and maybe even over a thousand. And and we will continue to get a little bit bigger and a little bit uh, more organised as time goes on. So the next step is to make sure that the people who have been in here for as long as they've been get their own bedroom in a Macari centre. No, that's wonderful. So if anybody wants to, uh, does want to contribute, Lou, or get in touch, is there anything you want? You know, I know you've said you're very humbly that actually, you know, you've had loads of support and I respect that. Um, you know, can people donate things or, you know, financially or items? Or, yeah, I, I haven't not, got a list of, about I haven't that. got a list of email addresses no, ready okay, to get cool. you with yeah, or, cool. or anything right, like that. All right, Lou. Well, Lou, I, I'm, I've taken up enough of your time. I've had a, I've had a fantastic hour. I hope that people, and I'm sure they absolutely will, 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 will take loads out of this. And um, yeah, if you've got time to cheer me down five minutes, I'd, I'd love that. But Luke, thanks ever so much. No problem, um, Rob. It's lovely to meet you and um, I really appreciate your time. I'll take you around now. Cheers, Good morning.